reading is from the first epistle of the Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, beginning at chapter 5, let us attend. Of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as a labor upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you are already doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, when I was finally strong enough to do so, we started reading the earliest extant work of Christian literature, the first epistle to the Thessalonians. Everything that Christians ever wrote, this is the earliest one we have. It's earlier than any of the other epistles. It's much earlier than any of the Gospels. In 1 Corinthians, but it's also true of 2 Corinthians, which actually we placed just a few months later, the strong note about watchfulness, vigilance. At the end of the creed, as we shall say tomorrow, we say that we are waiting for the resurrection of the dead. And that we profess that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I don't have anything like the impression that Christians are as sensitive to that as these Thessalonians were. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, they're so interested in it, they, some of them even given up their jobs because it's going to be 
so soon. And that's when Paul gives that great line that became the foundation of the Republican Party. If one will not work, neither let him eat. Although I don't think Paul had in mind to found the Republican Party. I don't, I don't think so. But that was, that was a real thing at, at, at Thessaloniki. You do not need to be instructed, said Paul tonight. Because you already know that the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. If you know that a thief in the night is coming, you're home at night. Well, you really knew that. Or had good reason for suspecting so. What would you do? Well, just, I suppose some of you really think, do things differently from others. But I remember years ago when Mom and I were sitting I guess we were probably watching television in the living room down in Oklahoma. Remember that? And we heard some noise on the front porch. Remember that? A thief was coming. A thief was coming. And it was a thief. I simply stepped in the back in the bedroom, reached out of the door, pulled out a 20-gauge shotgun walked to the front porch, opened the door, and cocked the shotgun. There was nothing in it. There was nothing in it. I'm not going to kill somebody. There was nothing in it. And that's one of the most ominous sounds you can hear. You heard it three blocks away. And although it was perfectly dark out there, whoever was out there never came back. Thieves do come sometimes come at night. I don't know if the man who was on our back porch last year was a thief or not, but after dark there was a, a man, a total stranger, on our back porch at our door. Now, that, for Paul, is how you're supposed to wait for the coming of the Lord. With attention, with not sleeping. In this passage, Paul deals with the theme of vigilance. In itself, this is not a theme proper to Paul. Jesus tells the apostles to watch. You get that in his catalogical discourses. You certainly get it in the account of the Passion. Pray and watch. One finds it also in First Epistle of Peter, brethren, be sober, be watchful. For your adversary the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. One thing about a lion, you at least know he's coming. Some of these others would sneak up on you. Lions, I'm not that I'm not that bothered about lions. I got plenty of lions. Couple, couple, put a couple of shells in my shotgun. This is part of the inheritance of the church, beloved. To be vigilant and watchful. Christian existence involves a heightened consciousness, a mindfulness. If, if, the, if the Christian does not have a Christian mind, he's simply not a Christian. 
have to have a Christian way of thinking, a Christian way of looking at the world, a stimulated awareness, a clear and sharp thinking, an intelligent questioning. I'm not talking about agnostic questioning. I'm not talking about stupid questioning. But deeper probing of the faith. You know, much of the contemporary world sets out to induce stupor. That's why music is piped into, into stores. Keep your mind off what you're supposed to be doing. If the music is harmless, as it tends to be at uh, Jewel Osco, it tends to be harmless. I'm not sure why, but it's harmless. I, I, I can't tolerate it. Uh, Walgreens drugstore, that's something else. But, but the whole purpose of the music is to keep you from thinking. Keep you from thinking. As though we don't have any inner, inner world. The world presumes we have no inner world of our own. And thus, therefore, they have to entertain us. So they give us meaningless sounds. Every single project of this world, whether it's a new shampoo or the construction of a new bridge, Every single project in this world has some underlying philosophy, some philosophical, a set of philosophical presuppositions. The world does. In the contemporary world, most of these, most of these will be expressed in uh, jingles, slogans. The whole purpose of a jingle or a slogan that you don't think at all what I call the, the Jesse Jackson philosophy. If it rhymes, it's true. If it rhymes, you're, you're there, it's, it's settling. You don't have to trunk. You can go no thought, no thought involved at all. Jesus, when he speaks about the same thing, he invariably relates it to prayer. The prayer is the chief expression of our vigilance. It's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why it's important to pray several times, set times during the day. The goal is to pray without ceasing. That's the goal. But we're never going to get to that goal unless there are certain times of the day devoted to exclusive contention to God, the things of God. That's an important part of our vigilance. So we're wakeful. We don't do anything to drug the mind. We don't do anything to put the mind to sleep. It's important that we be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, and also because the Son of God is coming at an hour we do not know. Now, that has an application to a great deal more than simply the final coming of Christ. It has a great deal more than that. When I think of how much time we spend putting ourselves in immediate danger of death, not an automobile. We spend a lot of time in the automobile. We spend a lot of time out. We spend a lot of time crossing streets. Without any sense whatsoever of how close we come. It really is there. Just living an ordinary, normal life now, one is in a, a state of physical danger beyond anything the world has ever seen. When somebody in his house, say in, in London in 1775, or something like that, 
step out and walk downtown. He was perfectly safe. Do you say that about now? You would, you walk out into the city, to a place in the city, you'd be perfectly safe. The signs of the times, brethren, compel us, I believe, to return again to this point of view that Paul says in this first work of Christian literature, where he tells the Thessalonians to be sober, to be watchful. 